1: Is in the lead for the MVP race. What is happening in the race for eighth in the Western Conference? How long will the honeymoon last for Yusuf Nurkic? The only question left is: Say it with me. You win. Hey, sports fans! Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B Breakdown podcast. I am excited to bring on friend of the program, Alex Kennedy, who is a writer for Hoops Hype. And uh, Alex, thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, this HoopSype thing is a a new gig for you, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm really excited. I joined them uh, earlier this year, about two months ago, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, I I read HoopSype every single day anyway. So it's been uh, real cool writing for them and uh, seeing how things work behind the scenes over there.
1: Sure. Now, is there anything different with what you're doing compared to where you were?
0: Um, Mainly, I'm just writing and doing video now. Before at Basketball Insiders, I was uh, an editor. So I was having to edit, you know, all the articles that went on the site, edit video behind the scenes, do a lot of that kind of stuff. So now I'm just writing and doing video of my own. So really able to focus a lot more on my own content. And that's been my favorite part, being able to put, you know, more time and effort into uh, articles, interviews, videos, you know, those kind of things. So it's been it's been great.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, great way to be able to, you know, get into a platform where you can share your stuff and we always enjoy it. So uh, I thought we could, you know, let's break into what everyone's been talking about, I think, recently, which is uh, the MVP race. Uh, and wh- what do you think? Are, are we? Are you on the same level as I am as far as the, the top four guys uh, who are competing for this reward?
0: Yeah, I think the same four guys are, you know, being mentioned. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. And, uh, I, I honestly, I think you can make a case for all four of them. I wouldn't be shocked to see any one of them win it. Uh, I'm curious to see here, uh, who you, who you have winning it, but uh, right now I would give it to Russell Westbrook. Um, oh, okay. I know that, that I know a lot of people don't agree with that. It's a, uh, I'm in the minority. I, I feel like that, but I just think his season has been so incredible that you have to throw away some of the rules and some of the norms that we're used to. And I think voters may do that because of the numbers he's putting up. Um, You know, I think even though they're not going to be one of the top seeds, uh, they're going to probably be, you know, six or seven in the Western conference. We haven't seen a guy average 30 plus points per game, triple double over the course of a season. And he may do that. He has 33 triple doubles now, which Only seven players in NBA history have had more in their career than he's had in this year so far. I just think there's enough things out there where voters are going to say, look, we have to acknowledge what this guy's done this year. He's been incredible. Uh, And, you know, that's not to say that the other three guys haven't had a great season, too. I think James Harden is probably my second uh, choice just because not only has he put up ridiculous numbers, and improve this Houston team. But he has a better record than LeBron James and the Cavaliers. And I think he's probably helped Houston become the biggest surprise in the NBA uh, this year because a lot of people did not have them as a top seed. Kawhi Leonard, you have the argument, you know, if, especially if they can finish the season ahead of the, the Warriors, you have the best player on the best team argument and arguably the best two way player argument because he's putting up 26 points per game and playing, you know, arguably the best perimeter defense in the NBA. And then you have LeBron James, who, uh, fair or not, will always. Uh, have i mean really i think voters get bored of voting for him that's always going to be used against him but his numbers this year have been amazing he's efficient he's averaging over you know eight po- or eight rebounds and eight assists in addition to all of his scoring he's shooting the ball really well from the field and from three he's having one of his best seasons so there's a case to be made for all of those guys but i just think russell's been too incredible and voters are going to be you know they're, they're going to look at those numbers and their jaws are going to drop and that's what's going to happen when they cast their ballot
1: Sure. Well, you know, a lot of things happening, and let's let's break this down one by one. Um, okay. Let's start with Russ, because, I mean, you know, I've kind of boiled it down to, um, you know, I, I get so much, you know, hate from on, on Twitter uh, because of the way I feel about him. I just feel like I, don't, I just don't enjoy um, the aesthetics. I don't like watching him play. I, I mean, I, I really enjoy when he is explosive and does a really amazing highlight. Those are always exciting and great. Um, but there's—it's certainly a different style. Like if you compare them head to head, the way James Harden plays, and you know he's still Harden is scoring and doing all these things, but he just seems to be more focused on trying to get his teammates involved. Now the argument has always been that he's got better teammates, which is why he's going to really be more willing to pass it. So do you feel like the teammates uh, on the Oklahoma City Thunder are? That, like, I guess subpar that, you know, that Russ really just simply has to shoot as many times as he has.
0: No, I actually, I feel bad for the guys in the Thunder that are outside around Russell Westbrook because they've been crapped on all year long. And people are talking about how he has no help and he has, you know, no one else there. But, you know, Victor Oladipo, Steven Adams, uh, Ennis cancer. I think Andre Roberson has been one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA this year. These guys aren't bad players. Obviously, when you talk about not having a lot of help, you're talking about stars. Um, you know, LeBron James obviously has stars around him in Cleveland and, uh, obviously the Warriors have a ton of stars. So yeah, Russ lost Kevin Durant. We know that. And that, that's been the narrative all year long, but he does have help on this team. Let's not act like he has, you know, a bunch of scrubs around him. Uh, but I, I think that, what we've had, you know, what we've seen this year is he has had to elevate his game and, you know, take the ball into his hands more often. It's not like when he was playing with Kevin Durant and people got mad at him and said, "Oh, he's being a ball hog too much." I think you can definitely justify him being a ball hog more this year than in years past. But I, I would say though that his teammates are better than the average NBA fan gives them credit for. Um, Victor Oladipo was a guy that was a number two pick in a, dra- in a draft. I mean. He was, it was a bad draft, but he was a, you know, a top prospect. Steven Adams is a guy that got a lot of praise until now for whatever reason. Um, now you bring in you know, Taj Gibson. They, they have help on that team. Um, but I think that you're right. When you, when you talk about Russell's game, he definitely takes the ball into his hands more and takes over games that way. Whereas you look at James Harden, it always seems to be more in the flow of the offense. And uh, that's kind of the difference. And I guess LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard are probably the same way. You know, they don't necessarily just, you know, pound the ball into the ground for, you know, possession and then, uh, you know, just shoot the ball. They're looking more in the flow of the offense. And I think that's why some people don't like Westbrook. And I understand it. Um, but again, I just think that those numbers, <laughs> I think those numbers are going to hypnotize voters. It would not surprise me at all if voters just can't get past a triple double in 30 points per game.
1: Right. OK. And, and that's right, because the MVP award often isn't about who the real MVP is. Right. It's just right. Really about, exactly. It's the narrative. It's the it's what grabs you. It's the, it's the stats. So I, I totally get it. And I I wouldn't have any problem with him winning the award. I wouldn't. It's not a, it would not be a travesty at any in any stretch. Uh, he certainly has done the, the work. I mean, I, I think also, you know, remember, it's it's like it's a team game. And I feel like we've gotten away from that. Uh, with him and, and you know, in exchange for some credible numbers. You know what's interesting, though, if you look at it like even for like the per 36 minutes to normalize the field goal attempts. So per 36, he's taking 25.1 and no one is is above 20. The next highest is 19.3 from Kawhi, of all people. So you're looking at it in that respect and it's like and he's shooting 40, almost 42 percent. And so it's like that's also really frustrating at that high volume that he's he's shooting that poorly. Uh, and I, you know, I, I we I, I'll go back to what I think you know Jeff Van Gundy had said that you know shooting percentage is really related to decision making more than you know ability.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, for for years now. Defenders have known you want to let Westbrook, you know, shoot the ball from three. And I think some teams even want him to get going from three, uh, you know, knock down that first three-pointer because then he's going to sell for jump shots and uh, it kind of gets him away from his game and gets him away from attacking the basket. So you're right about that. I will add this too. You know, you mentioned how the MVP vote isn't always necessarily about who's been the best player or the most valuable player. Um, Sometimes, you know, national writers, I've noticed, and I don't want to, I'm not going to call anyone out by name, but I've noticed that there's not... As much uh, research being done, or as many games being watched, as you would expect or hope for people who have an MVP vote. Um, sometimes it is just looking at the stats and uh, watching, you know, games here and there, not watching nearly as many as you know someone like yourself breaking down games and breaking down, you know, every possession does. So I kind of noticed that too, where you talk to, you know, certain people and. Uh, I think that's why the stats and the narratives and storylines and all those things can kind of uh, affect the MVP race so much because, you know, you're getting people who may not be as informed as they should be when it comes to voting.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? You, you just described, you know, a lot of people on a lot of these platforms like, you know, you uh, don't have to call anybody out, but ESPN, Series X NBA. You hear it a lot. Like at the radio sub, I hear a lot where you can tell the guy. He is barely looking at a box score. He starts to get a little bit, you know, stammer a little bit when he tries to do some analysis in the middle of a, you know, of a show. And it is it is really frustrating because a lot of it is at stake. I mean, I, I almost feel like independent of who wins the MVP and that stature, I mean, there's money involved, right? These players want yeah. to get, you know, money based on the number of votes they get and if they win it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much involved now, not only with MVP, but also the All-NBA teams. Uh, And not just like incentive-based stuff or endorsement-based stuff. I mean, there's stuff in the actual contract where, you know, you can't get a designated player extension unless you're on the All-NBA team or you're, um, you know, an MVP or uh, in different things like that. So, yeah, there's a ton at stake here. And that's why it's frustrating whenever there are people who maybe not, you know, May not be watching as many games as they should, or uh, or not doing their homework before voting. Um, and I think it's not just MVP either. Like I said, the other awards too: Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, uh, Coach of the Year. There's a lot of narrative and storyline-driven stuff. And uh, and it's not just guys that don't. I mean, these guys do watch basketball sometimes. The, it's a, it's a situation where a guy watches one team and is maybe a, a, a great expert when it comes to that team but then has a national vote and doesn't know much about the other you know teams in the league because he doesn't see all the other teams uh unless they're playing that one specific team that he focuses on so i mean it's it's a problem that there's not going to be an answer to there's no easy way to answer it you know if you give it to the national guys and Uh, you know expect them to watch every single game it's not going to happen if you give it to the beat writers they're going to be more focused on one team and not have you know that league-wide expertise I think we just saw during the All-Star weekend what happens if you give votes to players. (laughs) It can get kind of crazy. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of things here, but I just think that's something to be you know noted when when talking about the MVP race and really all these award races.
1: Right. And without question, some of those players that got votes for All-Star because they were allowed to this year that has to be tied into their contracts. And if I I, I have no doubt, a guy's like, "Hey, I'll split the money with you if you give me a vote" or something like that. Um, There's no other explanation for that, which it it just was very strange. So. What's also very strange is another NBA podcast I want to tell you about called The Super Hoopers. Basically, an inconsequential discussion of the league. They're probably something like the fourth best NBA podcast out there. Definitely not top three. They actually used to be a part of the B-Ball Breakdown Network, but I kicked them off because they were making me look bad with their fire takes. Kind of like how you don't take your hot friend to the bar when you're trying to woo a lady. That's The Super Hoopers, the younger, hotter version of me. Anyway, they got their own feed now, and if you like a lighter side of sports, they are the ones to check out. They got great segments like Get At Me, Dog, where they tweet at an NBA player and see if they respond. Their newest segment is Let's Advertise at a Rival Podcast, where they pay to advertise on more popular NBA podcasts like this one. So, give the Super Hoopers a listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your better NBA podcasts. I'm Coach Nick, and I was paid minimum wage to read this message. Let's, let's move on to another player then. I think we should talk about LeBron James because you mentioned the fatigue and we saw, you know, Michael Jordan suffer this as well because, you know, he was, he was the MVP every year and they just get tired of it, I suppose. But I was about to do a big video um, that would argue his case. I mean, you're right. He is having arguably his greatest year of all time and and yet he is going to probably be sec- second, maybe third in the, in the race.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating. I think uh, it is the voter fatigue there because... You know, whenever there is someone new that the media can kind of crown and say, this is your new MVP, they like to do it. And, um, you know, I think we we can see that with Steph Curry and his... uh, He was obviously playing great basketball. Do not get me wrong. Steph Curry was playing fantastic basketball. But it was a new star that the media could kind of annoy. Kevin Durant was the same thing when he won MVP. And then Derrick Rose, his year was kind of weird because I don't think fans were... Or the media, I don't think the media was at the point now with voter fatigue with LeBron, it was more like let's punish him for the Miami decision. Uh, But now you're certainly back at that point where um, we expect greatness from LeBron. So for LeBron to win it, he almost has to do something just completely ridiculous and above what we've seen him do to say, okay, he's the MVP obviously this year because he took his game to this level. Um, You know, maybe this year is that year. I don't know. I mean, 26 points per game, 9 assists per game, 8.4 rebounds per game, and then shooting the ball – from the field just ridiculously efficiently, and then shooting, I want to say 39% from three. I mean, that's yeah. a phenomenal year for LeBron. Um, and and his team is clearly the best team in the Eastern Conference, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I think most, most people would agree with that. Um, he, His record isn't going to be as good probably as, you know, a San Antonio or maybe even a Houston. But, yeah, I mean, the case is certainly there for LeBron James. Uh, But it really comes down to whether or not voters will give it to him. Um, He kind of has that same problem with voter fatigue as someone like Kawhi Leonard has with, you know, market and marketability and those things. Because I feel like – I think that's the issue for Kawhi here, I think.
1: Oh, um, yeah, I mean, right. Because, you know, is Kawhi – here's a good question. Is Kawhi a superstar and, you know, one of my takes on wh- whether or not you are is if you are marketable. And I don't think I've seen Kawhi maybe do the ribs commercial in San Antonio or whatever, whatever the cart, whatever that is. But I don't <laughs> think he's ever really I don't know how marketable he is. And so as a result, he's not uh, he's not a superstar. And that's probably what, you know, is, is, is getting in the way as well. Would you say?
0: Yeah. And that's another area where it all goes back to the media because the media votes for this. So you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard who. If he could, he would you know, say zero words every single day of his life. He does not like talking. And it's not just to the media either. He doesn't like talking to the media, obviously. But I've seen him around like friends and family during All-Star events and uh, on draft night and things like that. And he's just a quiet guy. He doesn't like talking. So that's something that certainly affects the vote as well because – I think there's a perception of Kawhi, but then also, you know, is he a superstar? Like you said, does he have that, you know, marketability? Your MVP of the NBA is going to be your, uh, you know, face of the league, the, you know, figurehead of the league. So when it's a guy like LeBron James or Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, it makes sense because he's obviously a dominant player, a superstar. You know, you see him all the time. You see him in commercials. You know, a guy like Kawhi... You know, he doesn't have that. And I think, that you know, people are just more likely to look at Russell Westbrook or James Harden or LeBron James and say, this guy's playing at a star level. It's harder to quantify what Kawhi's is doing on the defensive end than it is to just look at the numbers for the other guys too. Um, and then just the marketability, you know, how many games are these guys watching these, you know, how many Spurs games are some of these voters watching um, and seeing how dominant Kawhi is. Um, and I, I just think that's part of it too. So I think that hurts Kawhi just like LeBron kind of has voter fatigue against him, which is why I think whenever you hear the debate brought up, you're you're mainly hearing Westbrook versus Harden. You know, it seems like LeBron and Kawhi are kind of being thrown in there as the other two guys.
1: You're right, and I do feel like uh, Kawhi is his his numbers are just a little less gouty than the others, and so that's going right. to ultimately you know the assist numbers are not quite there. Um, and you know, it's funny talking about defensive stats, which I, I I'm I, at this point I almost hate them. I, I can't wrap my head around any of these that seemed reliable at all because if you look at the comparison of defense defensive win shares, for instance, which people like to look at, Russell Westbrook has three point seven defensive wind shares and Kawhi has three point eight. And then the other <laughs> two, LeBron is two point six and James Harden is two point nine. So and there's something wrong there if Russ is that is just a hair behind Kawhi. And we've already seen the numbers. People are pointing it to it that, you know, look bad for Kawhi. But we, I, I did a video where they're literally just burying whoever is guarding into the corner and not letting him be involved in the play to, to make any defensive plays.
0: Exactly. And see, and that's the kind of thing that you notice that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't. Or, and the traditional defensive stats aren't crazy for Kawhi either. He's averaging, I want to say, like 1.8 steals and 0.7 blocks. It's not like he's averaging three steals and three blocks and, you know, crazy numbers that people can point to. And then you look at those defensive metrics that are kind of like advanced stats. Those are either really noisy or they don't really tell you a whole lot. So, a guy like Kawhi, really, the best way to really uh quantify or realize what he's doing on defense is to watch him or to talk to nba players who have to go up against him on a daily basis and hear what they have to say about his defense it's always so interesting when you talk to perimeter guys and they say what's it like to play against kawhi leonard you know they're going to give you a a long answer about how hard he makes your life every Mm -hmm. single possession and all the different things that he can do to you to shut you down and make sure you don't touch the ball and make sure you're not comfortable so um, I think that, you know, it's hard for a guy like him to be included in a race like this because of, you know, all those factors. Sure. Um, I, I just think those things are kind of holding Kawhi back. But, you know, he's he's the youngest guy out of all, all of these guys that we're talking about. I'm actually doing an article pretty soon about guys that are 25 years or younger that you'd want to build a franchise around. And, you know, he's on that list. He's 25 years old. I think people forget how young he is, too, because we have seen him be a finals MVP and be in the postseason so much and have all the success, but he's still super young. So, I mean, he's not going anywhere. He could be, you know, a guy that's in the MVP conversation for the next, you know, many, many years. So he, he'll be, he'll be fine. Don't worry about Kawhi, but uh, <laughs> right. I just, I just think he's not really going to uh, have a shot this year to legitimately win it.
1: Right. And and that's fair enough. I mean, I, I agree. And it's, it is too bad because, you know, this notion of two way player, he certainly, you know, elevates himself on, on that end because of defense. But, you know, the one thing I want to make uh, sure everyone hears about LeBron, and I did talk about it before and maybe another show or two, which is uh, I had a chance to go to Atlanta to cover the Hawks when the Cavs are playing. And um, I'm, when you watch the game, you know, what, the thing that's most startling to me about LeBron is the skip passing that he can throw. And it's on a laser and it's completely right on the money every single time. So he, they were forcing rotations and being able to break the defense down, not with dribble penetration, but with skip passes from LeBron. And I don't think there's anybody else in the league that can do that like he does. And that's really the most like hypnotizing thing that I notice when I watch him play now.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think that's a really good point. I, there's certain things like that that uh, once you kind of hone in on that, it's hard to kind of look away from it. But again, I think people—it's—it's it's one of those things that everyone knows LeBron's a great passer and has great court vision. and Is an you know an NBA genius with a ridiculous basketball IQ. So it's one of those things that um, I think is kind of taken for granted again. We we take him for granted. There's no question about it. Like this is the kind of guy who. You know, we're witnessing greatness that we're going to be talking about years from now um, because, you know, the things that he's doing on the court are are insane. Um, And I think I do think that with someone like LeBron, something that tends to happen, too, is we tend to talk about legacy and, you know, start comparing him to other players in the past, you know, how does he stack up against Michael Jordan? How does he stack up against Kobe Bryant? And you've kind of seen this even this year with Russell Westbrook with all the triple doubles, you know, stacking him up against guys from history rather than focusing on the present and saying, you know, let's focus on what the guy's doing right now versus what this means big picture, years from now, legacy, all that kind of stuff. But I think LeBron definitely runs into that too.
1: I want to talk about our friends over at Blue Apron. They deliver fresh, high quality ingredients and trust me, they make a big difference. When my wife compliments me on making pork chops and miso butter with bok choy and marinated apple, don't get me wrong, I'll take all the credit, but it's really Blue apron, simple, easy-to-follow instructions. You can customize the menu to fit your taste and schedule, and it's affordable. At less than 10 bucks per person per meal, you'll be, you'll be making savory dishes like vegetable chili and baked sweet potatoes with crispy tortilla strips. It's the equivalent of hitting a game-winning three in the defender's face every time you fire up your stove. So head over to BlueApron.com slash CoachNick and you'll get your first three meals free with free shipping by simply typing in that simple URL, BlueApron.com slash CoachNick. I'm telling you, this is a game changer. Let's talk about James Harden now because he's the one guy we haven't really touched upon yet. And here's a guy that's averaging 29.1 points a game, 11.2 assists, uh, and eight, actually 7.9 rebounds. I was kind of shocked when I saw that. I didn't realize he was getting that many rebounds. And he's getting, you know, a, a steal and a half. He's not nearly as uh, a problematic on defense as we've seen him in the past. And um, uh, here's a guy who that was he was my favorite for most of the year for the MVP. And I'm not so sure that that's changed too much. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, if, if Westbrook doesn't win it, I think Harden wins it. He, you know, this is kind of my 1A, 1B <laughs> when I look at this race, because his numbers are crazy enough to where, you know, you're going to be able to have those voters that are hypnotized by stats that are going to look at it and say, oh, my gosh, he's averaging almost 30 points. Uh, 11 assists and eight rebounds that's close to a triple double and his team's winning more games so you can make that case if you put him up against Westbrook because the numbers are there the team has been incredible and then the narrative is there too because like I said no one was really talking about Houston coming into this year there was talk entering this season if Daryl Morey was on the hot seat why they hired Mike D'Antoni because they you know they were just gonna have to punt on defense would they make the playoffs Why do they go out and get guys like Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson who can't stay healthy? You know, there was so much negative talk about Houston entering this season. and I think people forget that. Now you're talking about them as, you know, the third seed in the Western Conference and a team that has, you know, more wins than Cleveland and they'd be first if they were out in the Eastern Conference. This is a team that's played incredible and James Harden is the reason why. Not only is he scoring the ball so much, but averaging 11 assists per game, um, you know, 11, 12 assists per game, in addition to almost 30 points is insane. He's accounting for almost 70% of their offense. Um, And this is a team that is going to be, is going to finish the season as one of the best offensive teams uh, that we've seen in a very long time. You know, they're going to break the, maybe break the record for most three pointers made in the season. Um, And uh, you know, they kind of went all in on that, you know, small ball three point fast paced game that's worked so well in recent years in the NBA. And that Mike D'Antoni obviously was kind of ahead of the curve with. So I mean, Harden certainly has a legitimate case here, and I could totally see voters giving it to him because he has—he he checks all those boxes: stats, uh, narrative, um, you know, the record—and then also, you know, I think people do watch Houston more than some of these other teams because they are a high-scoring team that's fun to watch, and that helps him as well.
1: Sure, that's a great point uh, as well. Yeah, that people would want to turn them on and watch so that they might get more eyeballs than than Kawhi. Uh, you know, and it's funny because all I do all day is, is study, you know, film. And yet, I, I, there are, there are, I, I might go a month without watching a particular team and not know what's going on there. And so, you know, that's not easy. And then, you know, some of these guys are coming out there trying to be an expert on all of these teams all the time. And it's just, it's just physically impossible. There isn't enough time in the day to watch enough of these teams. But, um, you know, there, there definitely is a stylistic thing that's going on I think with James Harden that, uh, that I respond to. And I, you know, I guess we're all allowed to do that, right? I respond certain ways and you, you might like a certain kind of movie and I like a different one and, and you know, can't we all get along?
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I think that's what's going to come down to and, and really how voters feel about these different styles because they are very different. Again, Harden is doing more things within the flow of the offense, and um, I think he's elevating the play of his teammates more uh, if you're looking at traditionally with assists and easy baskets and things like that. But then a guy like Westbrook, You know, he is pounding the ball and putting up great numbers. But I think also one thing that has to be said about Westbrook, and I think this helps his case, is when you talk to guys that play against Westbrook, it's the fact that he's not only putting up these ridiculous numbers, but to average a triple-double, you have to play so hard every single night and every single possession. The one thing I always give Westbrook credit for is he does not take possessions off. You know, he is always out there flying around and looking like a Tasmanian devil at times. And I know that probably drives you crazy because he's not in control sometimes, but he, the intensity level and competitive nature is there. You know, he has that, killer mentality where he's going to go out every single night and try to put up ridiculous numbers. His team can be down big and he's still putting up crazy numbers and the effort is there. You have to have that in order to average a triple-double. You 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 can't just take nights off. It's hard enough to, in the NBA to average 30 points per game over the course of a season. But to do that with a triple-double, there's a lot of effort required there. So it is a different style. They're playing very different types of games right now. Um, it's weird to think that they are once teammates. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it really just comes down to you know, what the voters prefer in terms of style and, again, how much they're paying attention.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, the, the fantastic breakdowns of all those players. And it's going to be a really dis- difficult choice. Um, you know, let's move on to the Western Conference Eighth spot playoff race, because I find that a little bit fascinating because I don't think anybody when the year started would have thought that the the, you know, eighth spot would probably be under 500 to get into the playoffs. And it looks like that's what's going to happen. And, you know, what do you make of all this?
0: Yeah, it's a really weird year. I think, um, you know, usually in years past, you've looked at the eighth seed in the Western Conference, and, you know, it's still been like a veteran team that is going to win 45 games, 50 games, somewhere around there maybe, because the West was just so good for so many years. But this year, all the teams that are competing are pretty much, you know, young, up-and-coming teams. Denver, Portland, Minnesota, New Orleans. Um, Dallas is in there, and they're kind of a, the one team that, um, isn't uh, they're rebuilding obviously, but they're not a young team. Um, but I think there's, there's other teams, you know, Denver, Portland, Minnesota, New Orleans, the teams that are kind of battling, are all teams that have these young cores, and it's been really interesting to watch. Um, it's been tough to predict though too, because unlike in years past where you have veteran teams that. Are predictable or are consistent <laughs> these teams are so inconsistent like Portland can look great one night and then just look absolutely horrible the next lately they've looked really good since they've got you know Yusuf Nur- Nur- Nurkic he's been uh, Nurkic has been fantastic there and I uh, really turned things around for them Damian Lillard's playing really well lately um, but then like a team you know they can look bad some nights and drop games they're supposed to win and Denver's the same way Denver you know they can beat a really good team and you know Jokic looks amazing and looks like one of the best centers in the NBA and then you know the next night they're struggling. Um you know Minnesota is the same way. They play great basketball lately and they've gotten quality wins over contending teams, but then there's times where they've struggled. So that's why it's so unpredictable I think this year and interesting because really you can make a case for any of those teams to finish in that eighth spot uh because we don't know how they're going to play down the stretch. Um I will say that Portland probably has the easiest schedule of all those teams. Mm-hmm. Um I think if you kind of look at the schedule, uh Portland has 10 home games. And the next bet, you know, Denver and Minnesota, they have six home games. So Portland's going to be at home for a lot of the season. And uh, I just think their schedule is a bit easier in terms of winnable games, too. Um, you know, teams like Denver, Minnesota, Dallas, they're going to have a tougher schedule ahead of them. So that could, you know, help Portland a lot down the stretch. But it is definitely an interesting year when it comes to the eighth seed in the West.
1: For sure. I mean, I, you know, and Portland's always another one of those teams you kind of want to watch. They're very fun when they get going. Uh, but, yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit strange. And I know that they were you know, pleasantly surprised by, by Nurkic's emergence as a passing center. And I'm going to do a video on him next week uh, just to kind of talk about that trade because it really ended up, it's without question, helping them. Um, although, you know, you can argue that you know they already had the passing with, uh, with Plumlee, but it's a different dynamic with him. So we'll see if they get any, like, maybe better defense from him, and then that could help. And I do know that one thing that can really help is Harry's razors, a place to get high-quality razors to shave your face. The trial set came to my door in a cool package with shaving gel, four razors, an easy-to-hold handle, and an even cooler story about their founders, Jeff and Andy, who literally bought their own factory to make razors for two bucks a blade, half of what you'd pay when going through the hassle of driving to the drugstore, waiting for the dude to open up a special locked case, since I guess there's a black market for stolen razor blades or something, and that's if you even remember to buy them while you're getting shampoo and soap and everything else. So head over to harrys.com slash coachnick, and you'll get their trial set for free. There's a small shipping fee, and you'll get a truly great shave out of it, and you'll always have that smooth shave and soft skin. That's harrys.com slash coachnick to have all of your shaving needs delivered right to your door, and you'll have a shave as smooth as a crossover step-back pull-up swish. Um, what do you think about uh, Memphis? I mean, they seem like they're, it's amazing. They've solidified themselves. They're, they're making the playoffs without question, but are they going to ultimately, you know, move up or, or, or stay where they are in the seventh spot?
0: I think they probably stay where they are in the seventh spot. Um, you know, they're kind of a team that doesn't do a whole lot for me this year. I look at that team and, um, You know, they've been inconsistent as well. They're a veteran team that's been inconsistent. But I know that Grizzlies fans have been really frustrated because they have, you know, played up and down to their level of competition at times throughout this year. Um, I'm just not really... You know, in love with this team, whether they face San Antonio or Golden State in the first round, I think it's going to be a really short series. Um, and I think also, you know, when you talk about teams like Denver or Portland or Minnesota, there's an excitement level there because you're thinking, OK, we're going to get to see this young team get playoff experience. Yeah. Um, you know, with Memphis, this is a team that has that same core that we've you know, seen year after year with a few different additions. But, you know, we kind of know what we're going to get from Memphis uh, come playoff time. So there's not that same level of excitement and, you know, new blood in the playoffs. So really, I, I would argue that really the most interesting scenario would be if Memphis dropped out and you had Denver and Portland or Denver and Minnesota. But, you know, with Memphis, I want to say six games ahead of uh, – I- Five games ahead, of Denver. You know that doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Right. We're probably going to have Memphis in the postseason. But I'm just saying, from an entertainment standpoint, I'd rather see someone else uh, because I'm not I'm not really in love with this team to be honest.
1: Right, and you know, and the Mavericks are also kind of a really shocking thing. They were really sort of down and out and didn't seem like they even wanted to make the playoffs. And here we are. They are uh, two and a half. Uh, let's see, 22, 23, 24, three and a half games behind, which. You know, that's not insurmountable, but, you know, we're getting to that point now where you only have about, what, 15 games left or so?
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think, you know, when you look at schedule, it's so important because, um, you know, you look at the strength of schedule remaining. And I think Dallas's strength of schedule is a little bit tougher than some teams, if I recall. And, uh, you know, they're going to be on the road a little bit more. That's why I do lean to a team like Portland and wonder, okay, you know, they're playing really good basketball right now. Nurkic has been a huge surprise. Um, although I, I do want to say this, I, I'm very curious to see what happens when the Yusuf Nurkic honeymoon ends in Portland. Because anyone that knows about you know Denver and kind of what was going on behind the scenes with Nurkic and those kind of things, you know, he's a guy that when things get go bad, he's not the easiest guy to deal with. He's, Wait, I heard a little
1: bit about this, but no, nothing like yeah. concrete. what well, give me an example.
0: Well, I mean, he's going to be a guy that doesn't—he he, he definitely cares about his role and how he's used. He's going to pout if things are going poorly um, from an individual or team perspective. Like, right now, this is like peak Nurkic. You're going to—you know, you love what he's bringing right now on both ends of the floor. He's been great on defense. Uh, I think the numbers—I want to say, at one point, he had, like, the second-best uh, percentage at the rim uh, against— opposing players behind only robin lopez since the all-star break so he's been playing great on both ends of the floor lately passing the ball well averaging crazy numbers and look may- maybe you know in portland the honeymoon lasts longer maybe he's happier maybe because he's being used more that doesn't happen but at some point whether it's this year whether it's you know next year they're gonna face adversity with Durkic, and i think things could go badly there because he's a guy that can crumble in the face of adversity or you know cause some problems behind the scenes so that's something to keep in mind
1: for sure. Well, we'll keep our eye on it and you know, certainly uh in that realm of uh of questioning uh Boogie Cousins hasn't really had the effect they I guess they hoped with uh in New Orleans. Uh they kind of like a net wa- it's kind of a wash at this point, right?
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, and part of that is it's it's just so hard to to get two guys on the same page and playing well together, like Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Um, I think initially people were already wondering stylistically how this would work. But even if you even if these guys fit together you know, from a style standpoint and complement each other, making those sacrifices and adjustments mid-season is really difficult. You know, it's not like when you're at this point in the season, you have a ton of different practices or a ton of time to experiment with new things and uh, learn, you know, not only how to play these two superstars together, but have them, you know, learn how to play with their new teammates. Cousins is trying to adjust that entire roster. It's always really hard whenever you put a new focal point in with a team and that's the case if it's at the you know during the offseason at the beginning of the season it's even harder when it's midseason so I think that's been one of the reasons why these guys have struggled not necessarily saying you know cousins and Davis can't work long term and uh they have to get rid of one of them or anything like that I'm just saying you know midseason making that change and having to adjust everything you're doing and uh try to get a guy you know acclimated like that is very difficult for sure.
1: And also the roster is not good. I mean, they don't have much beyond right. Drew Holiday after that. So it drops off so significantly that I'm not so sure what they had hoped uh, they would be able to do. And uh, they're going to have to do a serious upgrade there because the pressure now is to keep um, Boogie, I imagine, through after next year.
0: Yeah, they. I mean, that's the goal. The, the hope would be that... You know this is an attractive pairing for free agents down the road. So you know you, you can re-sign Drew Holiday this summer. That's certainly what they want to do. You know at the trade deadline they were telling teams that they weren't going to trade Drew Holiday. So they want him there long term. And then you you hope that other teams or I'm sorry other free agents other players will look at this roster and say okay there are a few pieces away. Maybe I can go there and you know fill a certain role and, and help them. Um, and maybe with the full season of Holiday, Cousins, Davis, and then a better supporting cast, we're talking about this team as a threat in the Western Conference. But in terms of this year, I think they've kind of dug too deep of a hole for themselves to get that eighth seed. Um, so, really, I mean, I would focus the rest of the year on just getting these guys acclimated. Um, I guess seeing who else is on the roster that you want to keep you know in terms of in terms of the younger guys and the guys that you're kind of auditioning because i know you know they've kind of brought some guys in for workouts and they want to look at that team i would just focus on the future if i'm new orleans i know that they really want to make a playoff push and get that eighth seed but it's looking tougher and tougher by the you know each day so uh i would just focus on the future and hope that you know next year this team is better around the, the you know that big twin towers duo
1: Yep, we'll keep our eye on that and uh, we'll keep an eye on what you're doing over in your new gig at Hoops Hype and Alex, I can't thank you enough for joining us and uh, you have to come on again sometime soon
0: Yeah, anytime, thank you so much
1: You got it, and don't forget sports fans that people Breakdown break not a channel, we're a conversation You in? Are you in, Alex?
0: I'm in